Let me just take a sip of coffee before we start. <laughs> okay, let's make a start. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, dear listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to have with me somebody who is coming all the way far from Sweden. And this is Dr. Vijay uh, Raghavindran. And it's really a pleasure to, to have you on the podcast today, Vijay. Thank you, Sandrine. Thank you for uh, the invite. And I look forward to uh, engaging with you. Uh, during the next hour or so. When we met in uh, in Sheffield, you were doing a, a postdoc and uh, the postdoc in Sheffield wasn't your first postdoc. When when I looked at your at your CV on on LinkedIn, I was really gobsmacked to 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 realize that you had worked in so many different countries. It would be really nice if you gave us a, you know a very brief uh, overview of your career so far. Yes. Um, so I'm originally from India, and then I did my bachelor and master's degree in uh, chemical engineering and biochemical engineering in India, uh, and I worked in a, in a non-profit institute, um, uh, and then went to Denmark uh, as a research assistant because I wanted to do a PhD in metabolic engineering, for which uh, Professor Jens Nielsen, uh, who actually moved from DTU uh, to Chalmers in 2008. So he was the pioneer in that. So uh, And then he said, come over. And, um, and then I became a research assistant for one year. And then uh, he took me as a PhD student uh, a year after. And I spent four and a half years in Denmark on yeast uh, in a brewer's baker's yeast physiology. Uh, and mostly uh, fermentation and bioreactors. And then I moved on to uh, the US where I did a short postdoc. I didn't like it. I thought it was not the right place for me. And I left the postdoc and uh, I became a high school teacher in the UK for eight years at a nonprofit school called uh, Brockwood Park School in Hampshire uh, in the south of England. Um, and teaching chemistry, mathematics, biology, and then uh, doing all sorts of things. Um, uh, and then in, in 2014, I decided to come back to research. And that's uh, that was hard. It was not easy. Um, then uh, I had to go to Brazil because I used my network from my Denmark days. I wrote a grant proposal, got accepted, and then went to Brazil and then stayed there for Brazil for two years on sugarcane ethanol fermentation. So it's still related to my PhD uh, topic of yeast fermentation. Uh, and, and because I knew the person there, there was really a fantastic stay uh, there, uh, really enjoyed there. And then uh, it was a short-term contract, a few postdoc. <laughs> uh, and then from there, I moved to um, Sweden for a one-year and one-month uh, short-term contract uh, with my PhD uh, boss, co-supervisor uh, called uh, Professor Lisbeth Olsen. Uh, and then... Uh, Fortunately, uh, in June 2017, there was a, um, an advert for Sheffield, and uh, Sheffield was fantastic from 2018 until 2020, just before the pandemic. And then I came back to Chalmers uh, in a permanent position as a research engineer, which is equivalent to a laboratory manager in the, those days. I don't think it exists in the UK anymore because they have scrapped it. So, uh, I, I'm, yeah, I work with researchers, train them, show how to use instruments, manage the lab, manage procurement. Uh, yeah, it's a combination of different things. And, and that's what I'm doing now since last year, September. Yeah. 
It's really a fascinating and, and diverse career, and uh, there are many strands to pull from uh, you know this, this first intro introduction. I mean, in a way, the the first question that I would have, kind of from the start, as as an Indian you know student or graduate, what do drove you to go and do science abroad? When I think about academics, you know, in the UK who receive you know many application of you know Indian graduates, and it's always like you know how do you make yourself seen you know as a potential candidate among a very large number of potential applicants what was the desire of you know of, of leaving India and doing science somewhere else and how did you go about making somebody want to work with you I was fortunate that you know I went uh, to two prestigious universities in in India I think that was really very important for me my bachelor degree in chemical engineering and master's degree in um, biochemical engineering which was from Delhi from Indian Institute of Te Technology uh, which which is renowned all over the world you know the the CEO of uh, Google is actually from an IIT from India so um the CEO of Twitter I think is also from an IIT so there are a lot of uh, I think that name I think was there uh, in Europe and everywhere and then in, around 1997 1999 i was very interested in this field emerging field called metabolic engineering uh, and then doing the search then professor jens nielsen's name came up on so many papers and i thought that is a place where i want to go and do my phd and uh, and then I, I went to iit library and then i you know printed photocopied all the articles that i could come across of that and then i just bought a book with my entire month's salary um, it was just 100 dollars um, you know but that was my salary then in 1999 and uh, so i bought the book and and i really reading uh, consuming all this information and then so i had some background and then when i wrote to uh, jens um, and then i could say yes i've read this paper and that paper and uh, jens knew iit delhi because jens's boss a phd boss uh, professor john villatson so he had been to india in the united nations development program and he knew iit delhi so uh, i think you know then everything you know, fell in place so i'm from iit jens knew iit through villatson uh, and then he invited me over as a tester you know i was a research assistant to help a phd student and also to work on my own project uh, to uh, implement what i had learned uh, in all those papers uh, and uh, i think that was really uh, kind of that test period i passed and I, and i had two publications from that period and then uh, uh, yeah i think that was really the the basis uh, for uh, securing a position in phd um iit i owe a lot to that institute and i did, did not have any mentor uh, to talk to uh, unlike nowadays now we have internet and uh, at the time the internet was just coming up so it's a mixture it was a mixture of you know coming from the right institution in the first place and the connection but also you really demonstrating that you were interested in the topics just actually doing the homework of reading about the stuff and uh... absolutely yeah so I mean, it's interesting because in you know in the discipline that you were working in, many people may have considered you know moving to industry um, after a PhD. So in a way, for you, what was the um, in a way the drive to carry on working in in research uh, you know straight after your PhD? Um, I mean, in academia instead of just uh, having a go at working in industry. Uh? Yeah, I think I have to you know take this question in two parts, you know, because straight after my master's, actually, I mean, even after my bachelor degree, I got a job. After my bachelor degree, I got a job. I did not take it. 
I went to my master's. And after my master's, got a job in a pharmaceutical company. And I worked there for three months and um, and I fell ill. Um, maybe it was a chemical or something. Uh, so uh, the doctor diagnosed it was blood cancer. And then there was a, then I had to quit the company. Uh, it was good, uh, they, they, my experience. But then I realized that um, you have one project and then there's a CEO of the company or the boss asking, uh, oh, the deadlines are very strict. You've got to meet those deadlines. And even in that three months, uh, it was just one project and you're doing one but one particular thing. Um, so then moved on to PhD. Uh, and then in 2005, I think that was a very crucial year because uh, I, I did apply to many industries. Um, but um, yeah, did not get a position <laughs> um, because it is hard to uh, get a position without uh, demonstrating that, yes, I have uh, worked in an industry before or um, it's a catch-22 situation as well. They want experience in GMP, uh, uh, which I didn't have, and then um, uh, or a training. And, and then in 2005, when I, I was supposed to get married, uh, there was a girl waiting for me in India and uh, uh, and, and I did not want to get married. And then uh, this position came through in the University of Pennsylvania in the US and I just grabbed it. And then I went for it, uh, knowing that it actually it was not the right choice. So, um, and then I stayed on in academia for that very reason, because the freedom that you get in academia, I think that is unparalleled. I think, um, um, and I had been working with very good professors. I don't know if all the postdocs have the same experience. I think it depends on um, the position of the, the person, uh, the assistant professor or a senior lecturer. Or, uh, I, I worked with professors all the while, and uh, they are pretty relaxed. You know, they give you the freedom. <laughs> you know, I think that was important. Um, uh, the professors really, I think, or assistant even for that matter, they need to give the postdocs the freedom to explore, not not to constrain them. I think that's very important. Um, and I was fortunate to have that opportunity all across. And um, and then I flourished, I think. And then I realized this is the place I want to be because I get to read journals, you know, uh, nature, science every week in Brazil for, or, yeah, particularly in Brazil or in Sheffield. I went to lectures in humanities where even Sandrine, you gave a lecture. You know, there was a, a, a something about anthropology that was in the department. You gave a talk on that. I attended that. Uh, you were doing or finishing your PhD on education at the time. So that, I think, you wouldn't have that in an industry. And I thought, this is what I want. So you had, a, I mean, some, a period in, uh, in your career that is a little bit more than an interlude. It was a period where you became um, a science teacher. Can you tell us about this? Because often we have an idea that, you know, we have to follow a certain trajectory in, in research mm -hmm. career. And if we take sort of sidestep, you know, we are never going to be able to go back. Why, why did you decide to, you know, to become a science teacher? And mm -hmm. what was this experience like? I think uh, at Brockwood Park School, um, you know, in Hampshire, I think uh, it was founded or it was founded by an Indian philosopher called uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti. And I had come across across this, his book in Denmark um, at a bookshop um, while my PhD was going through some challenging times. <laughs> and then I read this philosophy book and then uh, and that brought so many questions. And I, it, it uh, actually answered some of the questions I had during the PhD, like the big existential questions. You know, what am I doing with my life? You know, is this the right thing that I should be doing? You know, am I helping the society by just publishing one paper and... Uh, uh, and, and then I, I really wanted to take a break from the PhD, and, and I just took it because I thought that is the place where I want to be um, because I want to inquire 
and to answer these fundamental questions that I had about what is it, what is the right livelihood, what does it mean uh, to be a good person on, on the planet, and not just as a career. I think uh, I think this was more important for me than the career. I think uh, that's why I took that plunge and I left the, the postdoc and came. And at the school, we like the inquiry that I was doing before was on my own. While at Brockwood, there was a critical mass of people engaging in these fundamental questions. You know, why, why are there wars in the world? You know, why do we judge people? And we engaged these with the students as well. So we had a Tuesday, Wednesday weekend during my time. So on a Sunday morning, we will have an inquiry time. The whole school of 65 students, it's an alternative school, private school. People come from all over the world. Uh, and then we discuss these questions with with uh, 14 to 18 year old students who will become the future citizens, uh, and that was, I think, uh, what uh, was important for me. Um, and then I flourished, and I think I really gained from that place. And uh, and that's also where I met my partner, uh, who is a pianist. Um, and um, and then in 2014, I thought, okay, uh, there was a change in the management, and then um, that questioned uh, some of the values I had, and then um, and I thought, okay, this is not the place, uh, so I should uh, leave uh, friend, you know, on friendlier terms, and then I came back to research. Um, but the teaching uh, was a fantastic experience because we would just sit at a at a table, four students in my classroom. I taught chemistry and mathematics, and. Uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really uh, a very very important uh, time in my life. My stay at Brockwood for eight years. Yeah, that's fascinating. And 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 obviously, I mean, it was a very unusual school in terms of the, um, the the dynamics of you know bringing different disciplines together. And in a way, it's that's something that's always interested me in you. In you know, it's I don't know whether the term is a polymath. But I think that it is, but I, I think that you are very unusual. You know, among the people that I've met in really having a deep interest in in lots of different things. You know, beyond just your your own disciplinary topic. So. What was it like for you then to go back? Because, you know, you had been teaching for many years and going back and being a post. I mean, I was thinking about it, you know, the idea of going back to the lab and, you know, doing a dilution of a solution. It's, although you were, if you were teaching chemistry, you probably still were thinking about this. Yeah. But, you know, there is some basic sort of experimental mm-hmm. stuff when you've not been doing them for a, a number of years. It's like going back is like learning from scratch. So how was mm-hmm. it like? Um, yeah, it, it was not easy. There was a lot of fear. Uh, would I uh, w- would I manage? You know, my own. You know, so I put a lot of pressure on myself uh, to perform well, not to disappoint uh, my boss, uh, who is also a good friend. You know, Andreas Gombert from uh, Brazil. Um, and then um, uh, I think I also applied uh, to a, a postdoc position in DTU uh, in Denmark, where I did the PhD. So again, I used the network. And I, I wrote a grant, uh, and I a proper grant uh, to a, a foundation. I think um, I think it was Novo Nordisk Foundation in Denmark, which is a very prestigious uh, charity, and they give a lot of money for uh, research. Um, the panel liked my project, and then they said I'm I'm a bit old. I was 38 then. I did not have enough publications, even though they said you know they are not going to uh, screen candidates by age, which is another good thing with England. I think in England there is no age limit for anything. You cannot discriminate people on by on age. So I didn't get that, you know, even though I did a rebuttal and all that. 
So then our Brazil came through. Again, there were two funding agencies. The first one, they said, no, you don't have enough publications. Sai fell through. The second one uh, with uh, Andreas, uh, there was money at the university and there was a panel. They evaluated my application and they thought, wow, you know, being a teacher in a school, you've done enough. And I think they liked my proposal and, and then went back to research. I realized that not much has happened in that eight years in terms of yeast physiology, understanding glucose metabolism. Why does yeast produce ethanol? That was a fundamental question I was asking, understanding the pathway, the signaling pathway, the, the proteins involved, the genes involved, and so on. And then in Brazil, Andreas was asking a fundamental questions because Brazil is now the second largest producer of bioethanol uh, in the world. And they don't know where the yeast, which comes into the bioreactor, which does the job, Nobody knows where it is coming from. Is it oh, from really? the soil? That's incredible. Is it coming from the soil? Is it coming from birds? Coming from insects? Because it's an open tank. And then, of course, they start the process with baker's yeast, uh, with tons of them. But then over months, the baker's yeast are kind of washed out and then native wild yeast take over. So uh, our question was, okay, why do these wild yeasts just have survive? You know, what makes them survive? Can we understand them? So then my skills for my PhD, uh, and that was very uh, important for that project. And I think that that came through. I did not forget everything. I think I was very happy that, you know, Andreas assigned me a project. Okay, your job is to make this bioreactor work. Uh, and uh, and I had a very good uh, PhD student in the lab, and Bruno and I we put the reactor together, uh, and and that was great. I think uh, you know we learned together. I was never hesitant to ask. Uh, Look, I don't know. I reached out always. You know, if I don't know, I I would go to chemical engineering department or someone across the corridor. And that's how I think. You know, I gained the confidence, and then I gained the people's trust, and then okay, you know, you, you can do it. And I got again, um, you know, three publications from there. And um, the entire lab spoke in English for me, and I learned the Portuguese language. Uh, and it was uh, great. And, and my background in chemical engineering, that was very helpful to do all the calculations, because the students, they were all science background. So I helped them to really quantify how much oxygen is entering the bioreactor under anaerobic conditions. And that became a fantastic uh, PhD project for Bruno. And yeah, so I think it all fell, you know, fell in and uh, came together very nicely. One of the questions that, that, that I'm really interested in is, you know, how you've managed in a way to, to thrive in the context of a very international career, because, you know, you know, you've taken many opportunities, you've created opportunities, but every time you move to a different country, the culture of, of research, the culture of the country, Uh, is different, you know, making friends, understanding how to function in, in the country and considering that many postdoc positions and the research funding is often short-term contract. You know, a, a lot of people have to have international careers, not necessarily by choice, but, you know, to actually carry on. So what's been your your approach to moving around so much? Um, Yeah, I think it's a, it's a difficult one because uh, in Brazil, um, there were so many postdocs you know, who were also on a two-year or a three-year project. Um, uh, and because Brazil was my second proper postdoc, and I wanted to get the most of it, and I really soaked uh, soaked in, you know, and I absorbed as much as I could, learned the language. That was very important to uh, to talk to people on the street or in the supermarket, uh, people from other labs. So um, I think that was um, uh, kind of learning the culture through the language um, because they were also 
oh, where are you from? You know, India, UK. So my experience as a teacher, they were all also excited to talk to me. And then uh, I equally, you know, I was as well. I think that made it possible. I never thought about what I'm going to do uh, in two years time until October 2016, when my contract was coming to an end. Um, so um, I think that I made very good friends in Brazil, I think, and I'm still in touch with them. And I'm still publishing papers with them. Um, still, actually, there's one re revision coming through with a PhD student and a postdoc there. So I think that I continue that, even though my contract, you know, it was only short term. And But this network will continue for as long as I, I wish. And um, and for Sweden, I knew it was only one year. Um, and um, um, in Brazil, Staying away from my partner, I never felt that actually I was uh, missing Jerome, <laughs> because you know we saw each other every six months. You know, um, you know he came once, and then I met uh, in December, and then uh, came to a conference. So that was good. Uh, but then in Sweden, um, I didn't get a job the Sweden the, the job in Sweden until a month before I was leaving Brazil. So there was a lot of anxiety. What am I going to do? Uh, uh, because going back to Brockwood as a teacher again, and then because um, it's an international school, yes, but then everyone was paid the minimum wage. That was also the reason why I left, because if you want to uh, you know, have a house, you cannot buy a house with the minimum wage in England. Um, so that was all these options. And then uh, Andreas sent the email around to, um, which I learned a year afterwards from a PhD student, that uh, he wrote, uh, oh, I've got the best postdoc ever. Would you please give him an opportunity. So he used his network. And that was how uh, Maurizio Bettiger from um, uh, from Chalmers and Lisbeth Olsen. So they contacted me because they had a deliverable for one year and I would be the right person to do because I've lived across in multiple cultures. So I, I would reach out and I think that was helpful, kind of this, the cultures, various places that I've lived in. And it was a positive thing. You know, I had one year to finish the project and I had four papers in that year. Very productive, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know when I started all the things, but then I reached out again. And, and I think that was the very important thing because there's a lot of uh, confidence issue. As a postdoc, you're supposed to know everything. You know, you, you cannot ask questions, you know. But it's all right to say, look, I don't know. Can you show me how to do it? Or, or I have never done that experiment or this thing. You know, I'm, I would like to learn. And and, and I that was, I think, there was one an employee of a company called Rakesh. And he was very helpful. And there was a PhD student, Rufe, very helpful. So I think uh, that one year I knew it was very short. And then I, I again, the anxiety kicks through after half a year. What am I going to do? Would I get a position? Fortunately, Sheffield came through and then <laughs> jumped again. And in all this, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't have uh, like a family as in a tra like traditional, you know, uh, children. My partner was there and he was always supportive all the while from the beginning. And uh, and he bought the brunt, you know, he was living alone. And uh, we Skyped every day for the last, uh, even now, for the last eight years. And um, FaceTiming, internet issues, calling. And so that's what was missing out, you know, not being able to celebrate things with him or uh, that's the downside. But I think you need somebody to to be, you know, supportive. Uh, otherwise, um, in 2017, Sweden by myself uh, with not getting a job. And then um, in June, in a winter in 2016, was very hard. Uh, I was depressed, you know. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's something that we rarely talk about, you know, when we think about, uh, you, know, inter you know, international research careers is that the partners 
that people have, you know, either they come and they lose their own job yeah. and uh, they move to countries maybe that they didn't really want to live in. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, the, you know, leaving their own families, you know, parents and, and so on behind can be also challenging. Yes. It reminds me of um, when I was a postdoc in, no, I was a PhD student in the US and I remember a postdoc, a French postdoc, who had an opportunity to go and, and get a position at the Institute Pasteur. Institute Pasteur. And uh, at the time, she had a boyfriend, um, you know, an American boyfriend. And the American boyfriend didn't want to go and leave his own job. And so she left because for her, yeah. working for the Pasteur Institute was really the most important. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it really, really shocked me. I, I was really... I, I, I mean, I understood that, you know, when your ambition is to work in a really prestigious institute, but that, that was a very, I don't know how to say it. Mm. For me, it, it was really uh, in my own, in my own life to actually motivated me to get married, to actually make a commitment that we will not live apart. And that was a choice. And, you know, and I didn't plan to live so long in the UK. I didn't really want to, but that, that was kind of a choice I made. So in your case, how did you kind of make your life work for you? Because, you know, the science is exciting and, the, you know, you, there are lots of places where you may want to work, but still we have to not let go of our personal life. Yes. How do you, did you make it work for yourself? Well, it's a hard one, and that's Sandrine. <laughs> maybe, I, I know there yeah. is maybe not, a, you know, a, yeah. a specific but, answer, but... Yeah. Uh, I'll share what yeah, I think my kind of experience, you know, I think, uh, I mean, Jerome likes his job very much at the, at the Krishnamurti Foundation, uh, the work that he does. He reads through the, um, the recordings of uh, the teaching, uh, the, the philosopher, and he makes extracts. So he enjoys his, that the work that he does, that particular aspect of the job. And I wouldn't I wouldn't have wanted him to leave and uh, come to Brazil or um, or, or uh, do all on a short-term contract, right? And uh, he had been living in England for 30 years. I couldn't just uproot him. Um, and I think uh, that was a decision, okay, I will come back to Europe. Hopefully, you know, somewhere in Europe, I'll get a job. Otherwise, I can always become a teacher again. You know, it's not as a, as a default, but as a no nothing demeaning about it because I still enjoy teaching. Um, and um, so that was one thing, you know, but I, I mustn't take, I think we respected our, okay, you you like research, oh, it's fine, let's let's make it work. <laughs> so we made that, um, uh, I think, uh, decision. It was hard, you know, it was very hard the first uh First month in Brazil when I landed that night, first night, my God, and then the last walk we had in Portsmouth, and uh, uh, it was very difficult. And then having the friends there, I think it was very important for me in Brazil. Well, I don't know about Jerome, you know, how uh, he managed uh, on his own in Brockwood. Um, um, yeah, I, uh, it was very difficult for him. Um, um, so creating, so in a way, creating a support network, you know, yeah. to really making sure that you're making friends in yes. wherever you're you're doing, you know, the following postdoc, yeah, as a way of creating a bubble of support, absolutely, very, yeah. very quickly. Because if yeah. you have a you know short term contract, it's uh, 
Yes, and then when he came to Sweden, of course, you know, it was closer, and then we would see each other more, you know, and then Sweden is also very uh, forward-thinking. It's very, you know, exciting to be in Sweden, and uh, and then came back to Sheffield, and there was actually, uh, there were two options in Sheffield just in, in July 2020. Either I could continue in material science as a postdoc for two more years, um, or I had a, almost, I think, I was almost selected at a company in Manchester. It was a startup, um, and now actually it is doing very well, <laughs> called Holly Firm. And I thought I would be almost selected. And then this job in Sweden came through as a lab manager. And now again, I made a change, right? And this was a permanent position. And I wanted to, I did not want to go for another short term. And then a startup, I thought, mm, maybe it's a bit risky. Again, I might be in a similar situation in a few years time. And I didn't want it to move again to another place. Uh, and I thought, all right, let's take it. This is a, uh, it's a good compromise because I can still listen to researchers, <laughs> talk to Rena, do maybe get an opportunity to do a small project here and there, and then um, train researchers and maybe uh, kind of pass on the experience that I have, maybe to help the postdocs and, and PhD students. Um, and, and the plan is, you know, for Jerome to come over here um, because he's a pianist and uh, as well. We will have to see how that's going to work out. But uh, yeah, Sweden is not the US or Australia, so it's still, you know, <laughs> COVID times, it's it's hard now, but uh, I think it's it's possible. Uh, and because my family is, you know, they don't know anything about us, I think that's, uh, I, India is not an option for me, you know, unlike other people where the parents would support them. So I had only Jerome, nobody else to talk to. So, and that's why I didn't want to also let go of our, you know, both of us, we didn't want to let go of a relationship and, uh, uh yeah, it's a combination of things, and I'm um, thanks to really Jerome um, for where I am now and for being very supportive. When you reflect on the, um, you know, the different uh, PIs that you've worked with uh, over the years, and uh, you know, again having experienced lots of different countries and lots of different research cultures. What do you think is really key in the way you know academics are able to to create an environment for PhD student and postdoc to really help people thrive mm. in in whatever way they wish? Like I said, Sandrine, in the beginning, I think I had been very fortunate that I worked with fantastic professors all my throughout my career, and they gave the freedom. And um, in Sheffield, particularly, for example, you know Jeff Green, Professor Jeff Green, and Professor Poole. Uh, Mike Williamson, the head of the department, and um, and so many people in Sheffield, you know, and, and I did so much teaching, and I got my uh, FHEA, you know, Fellow of Higher Education Academy, and uh, uh, MSc courses with Kaiser, with uh, Jim Gilmore, and um, with Ewald Hetema, my supervising masters. I think that is missing out um, in um, in Sweden, particularly. I've heard from postdocs here. Maybe it's a language as well, you know, England, English is the language of, uh, you know, for teaching undergraduates, while here in Sweden, uh, it's the Swedish for the undergraduate students, uh, and only in master's level, you can do in English. Um, um, so I think they miss out on that opportunity. Maybe this is where, particularly for Sweden, for I don't know about Denmark. So it'll be nice if postdocs and PhD students get their teaching credits but not postdocs, not all of them. So it'll be nice for postdocs to give that opportunity. So maybe have a, a, a forum where they also, if they want to you know, go in that track, academic road, maybe get some pedagogical skills and you know, how to make a design a lecture. So that was possible in Sheffield and at which they don't, 
which is missing here. Um, and uh, I think Jeff, for example, or Robert, they never micromanage. They gave the freedom. They trust you. I think that was very important to trust that person and to not to judge, oh, he or she or they would have done something wrong. From what you're saying, you know, tr trust and creating a space of freedom for, for you know, for researchers. Yeah, I think that was uh, really the key uh, in all the places. Um, and while in University of Pennsylvania, where I was, I think that was hard uh, because uh, there was a lot of uh, yeah, emphasis on um, just work six days a week on Saturday as well. And coming from Denmark, uh, where it was the very free culture, you, know, you, you do what you want, I need the results. It doesn't matter when you work and how you work. <laughs> Uh, and that was the freedom I had in Denmark, which was missing in, in uh, UPenn. Um, and it was all an Indian lab. You know, there was an Indian PI with all Indian postdocs. And I didn't want that. I think we need diversity as well. Uh, diversity as not just, um, you know, oh, let's just do a tick box exercise of uh, uh, equal number of men and women or uh, and also trans men and women uh, or, or LGBTQIA+. Plus, you know, um, I think Sheffield was great because they are... Yeah, I, I went to everything, all the research stuff association, went to every meeting I could, because that, that was possible because Jeff trusted me that I will produce the results. I went through in every quarter, um, uh, we had the presentation for uh, Innovate UK, Our they were the funding body, and then they were all happy with the progress that we made, and we made a very good paper, and it was a team effort. You know, I didn't write the whole paper, Jeff wrote Uh, you know, because he's very good at writing. I wrote, he corrected it, and then he polished it. He made figures. So it was really a team effort. Nothing saying, oh, that's your job, you do it. No. So, I mean, trust is really important in a relationship between a PI and a postdoc. And, you know, as um, as a postdoc, you kind of expect it to be trusted. But, you know, if we look at the PI, and I'm particularly, because at the moment, I'm particularly interested in new PIs, you know, people who are setting their research group. People have worked so hard to actually get there, and they've worked so hard getting the funding. And in a way, it's kind of easy to see why some PIs don't really want their postdoc to go and do all sorts of other stuff. You know, that, you know, is not really necessarily that helpful to themselves, you know, to the PI. What advice could you give in terms of a way of thinking about the culture that they're creating for postdocs? You know, so that, you know, we understand the challenges that they're facing, but at the same time, you know, the, their action, their behavior, you know, the, the, the way they enable, they enable others really shape the experience that postdoc and PhD students have of the research environment. So how can we support PIs to really create, uh, you know, a posit positive research culture? Yeah, it's, it's again a difficult one, Sandrine. I think this is also um, uh, the funding bodies also have to have a play role in this. I, I, in 2019, I went to a national postdoc event and, at Queen Mary's and there was someone from Welcome Trust um, and who was saying we don't emphasize on publications for the new PIs. You know? So maybe that is the thing. It's not just the, yes, we need to have publications. That is the proof that the taxpayers' money is well spent and the science progresses. But then we need, we need good science as well and, and not just publications for the sake of it. So maybe for a new PI, they can establish, okay, well, this is what I want. What do you want? You know, have some kind of a conversation so that they both know what to expect from each other. Because 
in in Sheffield in the in the, the latter part uh, when I was working with the professor um, uh, that person wanted uh, oh I'm very ambitious I want a publication in nature and I said look I'm not I don't I'm I'm happy to work but I also want my work life balance you know I don't want to be contacted after 6 pm uh, on whatsapp I I don't check my whatsapp or email or skype or, or not on weekends if there is a need I will do that I think having these boundaries and i think this will help everyone the everyone will be happier rather than just complaining and begin closed doors let's bring it out let's make a you know culture where let's talk about this you know let's put it okay this is what we want you know this is we want to have this high impact paper let's work towards it and let's celebrate and uh, and give the freedom and not just work all the time you know uh, to have some activities together fun activities um so i think that is that that's what i would say to a new pi uh, because even in sheffield i've seen um, some pi's are very hard working because uh, yeah i mean you have to prove otherwise you're out after 5 years uh, so i understand that but then if everybody is stressed then the whole place is uh, you know nobody wants to go there because they can you can feel the energy of the place and um, but what you're saying is important this thing of you know acknowledging that uh, you know motivation and aspirations of different people are different yeah. and having conversations ab about them instead yeah. of instead of pretending that yeah. we all aiming for the same thing and often people are scared often people are scared of having these conversations yeah i think it is well known fact that not every postdoc will become a pi because the positions are limited so not everybody wants to climb the hill i think someone gave this example in a, in a postdoc event some are happy just going midway you know they they can just see the landscape um so only very few can reach the top the summit not because they cannot they don't want to because they're happy with the landscape where they are maybe to accept that maybe then we thrive you know have maybe a not you know another short term contract you know to have a family if you want to have children you know so i think uh, having realistic ambition as well you know and not only nature or uh, there are also pnas you know society journals they also have very good impact so in that sort of context you know in the role that you have now in where you're training people sort of lots of the sort of technicalities of doing the research how do you see your own role in being a you know positive contributor to the research culture because obviously you're you're not you're not running your lab but you're not a postdoc you have a role that's slightly different than you know maybe you thought you would have when you when you started but you are you know we all have a role to play for a positive research culture i think it um um in, in the presentations uh, the students make phd's or postdocs you know then help asking the right questions because in not in a very accusatory or saying you've done something wrong you know like just giving a different perspective and i think they my experience sometimes helps then um that they really appreciate that this they value uh, because i read wide variety of journals you know i and you know, i see twitter or instagram or um pnas nature science or um and i shared it with the whole group so then there is a oh let's go beyond our uh, discipline and then let's work together and and then we have a fantastic group of people uh, because i think it's uh, i'm sure the interviewing process is quite elaborate you know i um here that's also the the people who come here uh, they're already pre-screened i think that's very good um and i think um you know we have movie nights we've got uh, you know dinner oh, let's go for a dinner, a dinner or lunch together and uh, having 
things doing things together i think that was very important here from the pis as well you know sometimes we have a a whole day of research day talking about research or we have a, a, a retreat where we retreat to a place and then we do activities together um so that brings in a, a sense of belonging to a place then you know any thing that you may have like a disagreement with each other or maybe uh, you know either over a drink and if you don't drink alcohol or a juice then or a tea so we can talk about it in a in a different setting um so that is possible it hasn't been possible because of covid but there is this opportunity where they want to invest in people uh, and to create this culture shamus is very aware of it and elizabeth and, and the current uh, the new head kale uh, they're all aware of this and um, I, th- i think it's it's a you know it's never one person it's always it's a team of people who make this possible uh, and and not to complain um, not to moan about things and then look something is not working let's not finger point you know let's take that okay how can we make this better so that it doesn't happen again because my role as a manager is i cannot be accusing oh you haven't done that you haven't done that so let's help each other yes you haven't done it this time but maybe you know by doing it this way you will remember that you will not uh, do this way our culture is let's let's not complain let's do something you know we are here and let's make it happen and, and then our job is to help you researchers so that you know you don't have to spend time looking for things and you know, we will do it for you uh, and let's help each other if you're thinking about sort of uh, almost like a legacy of how you want to have contributed to research culture in the context of you know the position that you have now Mm-hmm. what would be the legacy that you would want to leave in terms of the way things are done to to really have a culture that really is supportive and doesn't deny the individuality of people you know what what's what's really the most important for you we want to belong to a community that's how i see because brockwood was a community for me that was very important because you know, we are sociable you know people human beings we want company and covid has shown that you know we really need to talk to people and we need to have a good good people good conversation not just complaining all the time or uh, you know moaning about things there are uncertainties but let's let's discuss it and see if we can bring it to the fore to uh, funding bodies to the professors and and that's what i talk with the pis here as well um let's so that you do something you know you presented yes it is hard but maybe you can change you know and um, so by talking it openly maybe then going you know one level higher and higher uh, that's what i'm hoping that in our leave behind um that uh, the the sense of togetherness you know not just uh, or my group but it's more you know 45 people as one community of researchers we are doing something in bio based processes to uh, to replace fossil fuels uh, and yes we all have our ambitions and our own grants and money and all that but if we can work together uh, and that's a dream and, and that's what the philosopher was talking about can we work together help each other and not judge each other and uh, and yes there will be anger and there will be jealousy and all that but can we talk about those things um you know hierarchy you know assistant associate professor tenure track you know we really have to be talking about and in sweden it will be challenging because they are they don't you know they may not talk about this openly because they, nobody wants conflict uh, and these are all very difficult topics to talk to and 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 this is where i think uh, something like what you might do in one of your workshops that could help to kind of 
continue this culture where uh, we talk about such things and it's creating okay to, spaces yeah yeah i mean i think that's often you know I, i've seen that it's not necessarily that people don't want to have this conversation that could be challenging because yeah. often we you know when we talk about open science and you know collaboration you know we we do these things but they're not necessarily easy yeah. and we often do not have spaces to address these challenges and find alternatives in the mm. way we host conversations so i mean that's why the you know bringing in facilitation external external contributor i think can be helpful but i yeah. am a little bit biased obviously yeah. <laughs> on that front <laughs> No, I think it's because it's good to have a perspective, right? Because you've you've got two PhDs, you know, one in science and one in education, and then you're doing bring a different the the, the humanity aspect of it, right? The whole the holistic. Um, I, I think that's important, you know, because sometimes scientists can be caught in, oh, I just want publications, my project, my. But it's good to kind of have that big picture as well. Well, one of the things I'll be interested to sort of. Uh, among the things to finish off our conversation is if you could tell us about your, you know, the, the science and art activities that you have, because I was, uh, you, you had, I remember you sharing a website where you were writing poetry. And if you could just tell us a little bit about that side of your, you know, thinking space in some ways, what, what is it about? Yeah, thank you. I nearly forgot about that, Sandrine. Thank you. <laughs> I think that was really, I think, uh, you know, because I'd always been writing from Denmark, you know, I, I wrote a lot in Denmark. And then at the time, uh, I hadn't uh, come out. So, uh, so it was a lot of uh, kind of anger, anger came in my text. You know, and, um, and then came to Brockwood, and then I was sucked into the place teaching and all. And then I didn't write that much because we were inquiring all the time. And then when I went to Brazil, and that's when I really tasted that. And I that came back again, the writing and art and drawing. And I had a very good, I still have a very good friend from Germany from the school called Helena. She taught me some drawings, some techniques. So that was very important. Sadia, another art teacher, she was very important and a good friend of mine. And then in Brazil, this really flourished because I did so many drawings there and um, and writing. So I, I would write prose poetry on, on my uh, yeast research work. And I even wrote a prospectory of a, a journal article and I sent it to Jens Nielsen, who was the editor of uh, FEMC East Research, and he loved it. And, and I asked him, well, why couldn't we have something like this every issue? I think that was uh, kind of my um, kind of my breathing space. You know? So if there is a, anything that I want to, that, that is bothering me, I will go and write or draw. Uh, and that was very important uh, in Brazil. And, and I think that environment helped me. Um, and in Sweden became less because it was dark and then and then everything became you know closed as well in 2017. Uh, and then Sheffield, again, I wrote more because I have more. So I think it's the environment also contributes to the, the inner it come, the expression. Um, and now coming back again, the COVID, so I haven't written much, but I still draw and, and you know, every, pretty much every day I draw before going to bed or I do, you know, and, and, um, and I don't think what I'm drawing, I just draw, use different colors. Um, uh, and then every now and then there's an opportunity to, um, to write something in, in our team's channel. Um, then it just comes, oh, I have to write. And then it just comes and it flows. So yeah, I think it's really good. Art is so important for science. I think it helps to embrace uh, kind of the, the softer side of uh, in us. Um, not always is let's go for it, you know, but we need the other side as well. Uh, yeah. 
People have been talking, obviously, I mean, also in the context of COVID and, you know, there's been a lot of reports about, you know, issues of mental well-being of researchers. And I think that getting people to consider their, their well-being and their resilience through engaging with other things. And in, in some of the, the programs that I've run, I all, there is an expression that I use of, of, you know, what's your me time? And the me time, so for you, you know, if it's drawing and, and writing poetry, but in a way, it's like we, we all need me time. And, and mm. I think that in, in many of these programs that I've run, in, in a way, that's what people reclaim. They, you know, they either they've stopped exercising or they've stopped, you know, just going to the cinema or whatever. Mm. And it's um, and I think that obviously COVID, you know, we've all been, you know, so disconnected for, from other people and or from activities that we were able to do that the me time also maybe is something that has disappeared. And for many yeah. families who had to look after kids and so on, so in a way, for you, the uh, you know the the drawing and the and the writing is yeah. part of that re- resilience space that, uh, in a way, we need to remind people mm. is is so important to kind of keep going in in research and in science. You don't just have to be you know a yeast physiologist. You can also be a poet and an artist. Absolutely, and I think that's yeah. what, that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, just one thing I wanted to add is because, uh, you know, while Jerome was living in, in, in Brockwood, while I was in all the other countries, and then my family is from India. So the only way I could communicate with them is either, of course, to a telephone. Or, but then I, I, I also wrote a, write a lot to, you know, either sharing things with Jerome. I read newspapers, you know, or, or articles that I come across, New Yorker articles, and then we share each other. And that also brings us together. So some, otherwise, you know, we can't talk everything, you know, otherwise it'll be a long call. And with my families, I had been writing letters for the last two years since uh, I think 2019. And every Saturday, I look forward to it. I give what happened in this week. I give a little gist of my life here. And then in English, I write it in English so that they can improve their English as well take some pictures. And that has been very important for me uh, because they're all over there. So they have something of me that they, you know, my life here, because most of us, it's not known to them. So to sort of finish off our conversation, um, so I mean, I've I've got just two more questions for you, Vijay. Yeah. And and one, one of them is if you had to rethink your career, you know, if you had to do it all over again, you know, would you do things exactly the same? Would you do things differently? Definitely. I think uh, I, I would uh, like to learn programming. <laughs> That's one thing I miss. Uh, you know. And to have uh, humanities right from the beginning, you know, from bachelor, master's, to bring uh, the philosophy. Again, in France, you have philosophy all the way up to A-levels, right? It's compulsory, the baccalaureate. While uh, in most countries, they don't have that. I think that's important. And then hopefully um, interdisciplinary as well, because chemical engineering, when I learned it was just chemical engineering and it was all very textbooky and uh, problem solving as in the teacher writes the problem on the board and then uh, and then it's kind of the same question is going to come in the exam. While I much prefer active learning, giving a context, you know, challenge-based research, posing a problem and how we are going to address the problem because real life uh, problem does not exist as a, a nice question. It's quite messy. And uh, and I think that's what I would have liked, you know, whether it's active learning, teaching, you know, um, flipped classroom, not more in more engaging, you know, uh, both my bachelor and master's program. And for PhD, 
definitely programming and maybe time abroad as well because i was only in denmark which is already very prestigious but it's also good to go to another place to see uh, workings maybe then that can create newer network as well uh, to see um, particularly in the third year maybe uh, second year third year and and to visit the lab always because at university of pennsylvania i i took the job because otherwise my life would have been different <laughs> with the girl waiting in 2005 to get married and so um i think it's very important to see the people um i think uh, i it's not the job it's the people the the people make it possible not the place not the shalmers not it um i think that is very important and and if i had done it differently maybe i don't know i would have had a different life <laughs> and to really to see disciplines connectedness of, of it and i'm i'm i think i always had that i think uh, maybe this is some uh, maybe an advice uh, where to see uh, a problem as a uh, connected problem and not just this is a physics problem or biochemistry problem or a, a mathematics problem because we can all talk with each other <laughs> and i think uh, that is needed well i mean it's interesting because the you know the uh, with the, the sort of work that you're doing uh, I mean, not that you were doing before in terms of the, the bioethanol, you know, when we're thinking about the challenges in terms of energy for the world, you know, everybody is always saying, okay, well, it's, you know, we need to have people collaborate and it's about inter- interdisciplinary working. But actually, in the way that we train uh, researchers, often there are not as many opportunities that we, we think there is mm. in terms of doing that interdisciplinary work. Yeah. So to finish off, my last question is, you know, what's really next for you in your professional life? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I was just watching a video yesterday of uh, Harvard Business Review. And then, uh, is, uh, you know, when you take a new job, and then it's always a lot of excitement, you know, there's the S-curve that she was speaking about. And then, um, you know, when you reach a plateau, and that's when you have to decide, okay, what am I going to do? Should I, am I going to take the plunge or do something, you know, different? So I think I'm still in the in the beginning of the the, the S phase, and I'm, um, but one thing I really would like to do more is um, to maybe do a bit more teaching, um, uh, active learning, and to uh, help the PIs with the uh, with the budget and uh, with uh, you know, procurement of uh, instruments so that we can have. better planning um, i mean they will do all the work but i'm more kind of uh, another voice to them so if i'm involved i can contribute uh, i can see myself contributing for long term uh, vision um big uh, with my experience i mean not that i have a lot more than them but uh, with whatever i have uh, and and that's what i i hope to but i don't know whether shalmers and the pi's will i'll have to come up with something and then present it and say like this is what i want to do in the long term yeah. but that's all that's all it takes is to have a vision of what you yeah. want to happen and and yeah. then just go for it it's yeah. a, a space for conversation basically yes. that's what you yeah wonderful thank you so much vijay it's been really a pleasure i mean i could carry on talking to you and for for hours and it's already you know the the podcast can't be you know too too many hours yeah. otherwise <laughs> it's a bit too long so yeah. really a pleasure thank you so much thank you sandrine